Twitter. I am Isaac Fitzgerald. He is Saeed Jones. It's Thursday, and you are watching AM to DM. It is Thursday. Uh, here is a tweet from our friend, queen, sister, lodestar, Roxanne Gay. You know her and love her. I am not doing a single thing differently in January. I am not giving up shit. I resolve nothing. I did difficult self-improvement all year, so I am not exerting myself further than absolutely necessary. 2018 took enough. Woo, and then came back with some more. Listen, 2018 <laughs> is like, if you've worked out with a personal trainer, it's like you're working out and you're like, huh, you know, you're like, I'm about to vomit. And they're like, one more go and you look up. You know, that's where yeah. we are in 2018. Like, I, I'm sorry. Well, I'm sorry. I'm that, about to. That's how I felt in January. Good. That was like, I was, it was personal Listen. trainer looked down and said one more Woo. go. And I was like, actually 11 more months. And oh, I am, do you remember are. January? No. It went on forever. <laughs> well, so did this year. Yeah, it's a long ass year. So, so to that point, uh, resolutions, what are your mm. thoughts on that? Well, listen, I'm, I'm always trying to improve. Mm -hmm. I'm always trying yes. to grow. Yeah. I'm not trying to kind of tack that onto a, a, a moment in time. That said, some, okay. some cultures- So you're like, I don't wait until the new year to try to improve. Yeah, I'm trying, there's a lot of room for improvement, <laughs> all right? I got a lot of work to do. I'm trying to do it all the time, 24 seven. Uh, that said, there's certain cultures where it's like the first day of the new year uh -huh. is kind of how that day goes is going to be how the rest of your year goes. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And I really like that as a concept. So I try to really spend okay. the first day of the new year how I want that year to be. So this year I'm going to sweatpants it up. Okay. I'm going to have the chillest January 1st I can possibly, I'm probably gonna go to bed early Ooh. the night before, okay. just so it's super chill right. and hope for a chill 2019. Okay. That's a prayer. That is a prayer. I have to be realistic, I will be flying back from Mexico City on New Year's Day. Ooh. So I'm not gonna be like, yeah, I'm just gonna be like, girl, you better be on that plane. You better be making <laughs> your way through customs in a prompt manner. But you know, I have to say, 2018 has been a long year. It's been a year of a lot of change. I've learned a lot about myself and what I want. I haven't had a lot of opportunities or haven't seized a lot of opportunities to reflect, mm. to like sit in stillness and kind of consider what I want, what I need, what I want to leave behind. And so I do think New Year's gives us that opportunity. I'm less interested in, in goals and resolutions than just like kind of taking stock, mm -hmm, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Um, because I, I just feel like so much, and maybe it's working in news, but it just feels like so much is happening. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, I'm just trying to make it from one moment to the next, you know, and, and it, you kind of step away from that and go, whew. You're gonna breathe? Yeah. You're gonna, gonna reflect? I'm Are gonna you gonna breathe. leave me with your Twitter password? No, I'm not doing that. Okay, so you're not, not stepping time. away. You're not, not stepping that, away, not stepping away that, much. that much. All right, well, listen, Twitter, we want to hear from you. What are you doing? Do you have New Year's resolutions this year? What are they going to be? Or do you love yourself, Roxanne Gay style, just the way you are? Let us know using the hashtag am to I'm perfect. I like that. I'm perfect. I'm chill. Perfection, darling. Okay, well, the Daily Beast, Scott Bixby tweeted this yesterday, and it got our attention. A 15-year-old transgender boy in West Virginia says that his assistant principal confronted him while he was in a bathroom stall, challenging, you to, challenging him to come out here and use the urinal to prove that he was really a boy. Another point from Scott Bixby, 
Trans people have way more to fear from cis people in bathrooms than cis people have to fear from trans people in bathrooms. And okay, so the Daily Beast reported on this story. Mm-hmm. It comes out of West Virginia. Uh, the boy's name is Michael Critchfield. Okay. And he was not only in the restroom with the assistant principal who made that comment about come use a urinal. Uh-huh. That assistant principal then continued to yell at him at a level, allegedly, that students in the hallways, classrooms, and cafeteria mm. could hear the assistant principal yelling at this boy. He then blocked the doorway, and they heard him yell as, as he got to the end of it, I'm not going to lie to you. You freak me out. Okay. There was so much wrong and disturbing here. Okay, let's let's deal with the fact that, one, um, I think often straight cisgender people, when queer people or anyone like speaks up about our rights and what we need to feel safe, um, y'all love to take on the rhetoric of bullying. You're bullying me, you're, you're scaring me, you're gonna invade our restroom space and my, our locker rooms. Well, I can't think of what's more terrifying than being a 15-year-old child. A child. And having an adult, the assistant principal, come barging in, yelling at you, asking you to show him your genitals, and then blocking the door, yelling loud enough so teachers and students else, that is a nightmare scenario. Listen, you know how hard it is to be a teenager, period. You know all of the fears and the anxieties, and to have someone who's in a a position of authority Mm -hmm. um, attack you in that way, that is a nightmare. Uh, Blocking the door, blocking the exit, and another thing we wanna make clear is this child was alone in the bathroom. Alone, using a private stall. With this adult, and I'm gonna name him, his name is Assistant Principal Lee Livin good, okay? And the ACLU is involved in this case. Thank goodness. Um, And I will say another thing that was interesting to Mm -hmm. me about this piece from the Daily Beast um, is that despite the shocking nature of the allegations, all right, the ACLU is actually not at this time pursuing a lawsuit. Mm. And the reason for that is they are hoping that the school will do the right thing here and actually punish the assistant principal, okay? And they're hoping to institute transgender inclusive training for staff Mm -hmm. and create new best practice policies for LGBT students. Mm -hmm. And that should be true in all the schools across America. Mm -hmm. One, we have a tweet here from Tanya Melinda. She said, speaking of the new year, well, now I have to resolve not to go to West Virginia to slap the hell out of a shitty teacher. Mm. Don't do it. Don't do it. But but to this point, I mean, I, I think it's interesting that they hope, that ACLU hopes the district handles it. And this is why, as someone who taught ninth and 12th grade high school, an assistant principal who is a leader in the school, right? Assistant principals discipline teachers for their behavior. Someone who behaves in this way, in this context, I would argue probably behaves inappropriately and too harshly in many other contexts. So this is one of those things where you go, oh, we need to like really review a lot of your behavior Mm. and actions. We need to interview some of your peers. This is deeply disturbing and my thoughts are with this kid. We are standing with you. You should not have to put up with this bullshit from adults. Absolutely. bullshit. And we will be keeping an eye on this story as it moves forward, mm. if the ACLU does have to pursue a lawsuit, we will be keeping an eye on it. One We're last ready. important thought here from the stuff of memes. Yet again, who is harassing whom in bathrooms? And that is a point that has been said over and over and again, and here we are, this story one more time. My goodness. Well, it is time to go live from the district, and we are going to start with a tweet from Senator Kamala Harris. She tweeted yesterday, the moment when the United States Senate agreed unanimously to make lynching a federal crime for the first time, keyword there, first time, history. 
first time. Joining us now to talk about this story is BuzzFeed News politics reporter Nidhi Prakash. Good morning, Nidhi. Hi, good morning. Okay, so this is wild to me. First time, it's 2018. Nidhi, why is this bill passing now? I guess to put it another way, why has it never passed before, right? I mean, this was brought up at least 200 times in the early 1900s, and it never passed any of those times. Um, it's now been brought up and has passed unanimously in the Senate. Um, I think part of that explanation from the early 1900s is that mostly Southern senators kept blocking it, saying that it was a state's rights issue, um, that it was an overstep of the federal government. Um, so as far as I can gather, that is why it's taken this long. Uh, this is just stunning. I mean, you know, America, I, I literally in my bag, the book that I'm reading right now is called The Blood of Emmett Till by Timothy Tyson. That is the book in my bag that I will be reading at lunch today. Um, so it's stunning again that in 2018, uh, this bill is even necessary for the first time. Uh, who was behind it? How did it get passed? Yeah, so it was um, three black senators in Congress that introduced this bill. So it was Cory Booker, Kamala Harris, and Tim Scott who brought it forward. But they, uh, it was co-signed by a lot of their colleagues as well. Um, and I think, you know, I mean, in 2018, you would hope that there is a, no argument against passing a bill like this. Um, I think that one thing that they have said is that it adds on to current federal hate crimes laws that already exist. So um, something like a lynching would already fall under the hate crimes laws and be considered a murder, but this adds an additional charge and could carry up to a life sentence. Okay, and I do, I wanna quote Mitch McConnell here. I thought we did that many years ago. You would. I mean, this is, I mean, that is the thing though. I could see a world in which somebody was like, how is this coming to the Senate floor now? So was there a reason that they, that they brought that? Like, did somebody say, wait a, a second. A specific catalyst. Yeah, like me. why is this not on the books already? Yeah, I mean, I think this is something that has been brought up a few times. The one thing that did happen, um, I think, around 10 years ago was that the Senate passed a resolution apologizing for not ever having done anything specifically about lynching. Um, in light of that specifically, and I think Kamala Harris uh, also talked about this in her statement after passing the bill, um, it just seemed kind of ridiculous that to apologize for not doing anything and then continue to not do anything. Well, I did want to read this tweet from David Slack, who has a really good username, by the way. Uh, he tweeted, the look on Senator Cindy public hanging Hyde Smith's face as she presides over the unanimous vote to finally make lynching a federal hate crime. Uh, and that's, yeah, that's quite a look from uh, our girl Cindy of Mississippi. Um, the reason I wanted to ask you about this is because when I was watching the video in Kamala Harris's tweet, she thanks Madam President of the Senate. And I was like, wait, 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 who's Madam President? and then we found out it's Cindy Hyde-Smith. Um, how did she, <laughs> of all people, uh, come to preside over this moment? She couldn't take a sick day? <laughs> that would have been an option. You know, I mean, I think it's just one of those random, freaky, unfortunate coincidences that happen on the Hill. Um, the senators rotate through that position and she just happened to be there on that day. Incredible. And I, I, just, I just want to remind people that had Cindy Hyde-Smith not won, the first black senator from the state of Mississippi since Reconstruction, I guess because of this order, would have gotten to preside over this moment. Mm -hmm. Think and that about would have been that. Incredible. Think about that.
Ooh, girl. That said, I don't hate that she had to sit there and watch. That's a I, good I'm part. just gonna you know? say, I'm just, I'm, I know I'm finding a very thin silver lining here, but I don't hate that that's what happened. I like that. Sit your ass there and observe, Cindy. All right, well, Nitty, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me. All right, and listen, here's a tweet from the, about the lynching bill from Jamil Smith. You will never convince me that this happens without the Equal Justice Initiative opening a museum and memorial dedicated to the victims of lynching earlier this year. It took black senators to make it happen. I feel happy, sad, sick, and furious all at once, which is to say, I feel black in America. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, we have to invoke, I think, W.B. Du Bois' discussion of black and double consciousness here, because it, this is good news, this is necessary, um, but it is deeply saddening, uh, of course, that it is necessary. And also, I wanna like invoke double consciousness again, because it's both like, oh my God, you know, it's, it's something in the past. No, I encourage everyone, if you were surprised about this today, search for recent news articles. You don't have to look far about lynchings in the United States. Mm -hmm. Just in 2018, mm -hmm. there are many that have happened, uh, and it's, it's deeply disturbing, and it's sad that, that this is a contemporary story. So that, I hope, is the takeaway here. This is necessary in 2018 because Americans and people who live in America are still being lynched mm -hmm. in 2018. Mm -hmm. I really want to get to that museum, too. Ooh, I not, yes. I really, that is like a That's that a great I've... resolution to go to Brian Stevenson's lynching memorial. Yes, there that would be go. a great thing to do in 2019. Well, obviously, I wish we had some sage to burn, <laughs> but all I was able to dig up was some fire tweets. <laughs> fire! All right, you ready fire! to get into Let's them? Let's do it. Let's do it. Chickenfoot, you tweeted, why the fuck are LED headlights legal? I am glad you can see into the future with your bright ass neon blue light. <laughs> but I am about to fly off the road, Carol. I don't know if you remember. I remember a few times on the road trip. You mm. and Isaac drove. He's a wonderful driver. But there were some moments at night. You're welcome. Did we clip that? Did Take we clip it. that? Yeah, Thank okay. you. Thank All you. All right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, turn into a gift. Uh, but there were some moments driving at night where people had those LED and there's <laughs> Like, listen, E.T., girl. This <laughs> is bright. I don't want to freak you out, but there were definitely some moments where I was kind of more guessing where the road's at. Great. We're done now. We're done. We're done. I'm not driving no more. It's cool, okay. cool, 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 cool. I can cool. admit it. All right. Peter tweeted, one of my aunt's credit cards got stolen. Uh, my uncle said he did not want her to report it because the thief was spending way less money than she was. <laughs> Thief is just getting cigarettes. Thief's just picking up a six pack. <laughs> I have to tell you, earlier this year, I had some identity theft. Oh no, I'm sorry, now I'm not. I and you know, they, they, they show you, no, it's funny to me, they showed me the purchases and everything and it was all in Brooklyn. And I got on the phone with my bank and I said, y'all know damn well that I am not out in Brooklyn. <laughs> By choice, spending a whole bunch of money over multiple days. I was like, y'all got me smooth fucked up. You know, that happened to me once, but the bank contacted me, and I was like, hey, how did you guys figure this out? How did you flag it? And they were like, you've never shopped at a grocery store before, and the thief had done $300 charges at a Whole Foods. It ain't here. <laughs> yeah, he was like, it's not a bodega. It wasn't you. <laughs> All right, Sweatpants Chair tweeted, are we supposed to just accept that gingerbread men live in houses built from the flesh of their own fellow men? Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. that's the whole point, right? See, I watched Sabrina. They're delicious. <laughs> and they make good, you know, crown molding. <laughs> also, I just feel like shout out to, you know, Fox News. Uh, gingerbread people, I'm sorry. 
That's that's. Oh yeah, my we know. God. You, they are really reaching for some segments. As I feel like it's the who holidays. Likes, like Christmas, I'm just not that <laughs> passionate about Christmas. It is incredible to see like y'all trump up this trump up this war on Christmas thing every year, and I'm like, is it that serious? Apparently. 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 Okay, this tweet comes from Kennedy Ray. I'm at Walmart, right? And this little girl walked by and said, I like your shirt. I said, thanks, I like your hair. She said, thank you. Then it got real quiet. And she said, yeah, mom put daddy out last night because he be cheating. And I said, dang, I am sorry. And she said, yeah, you are pretty though. You know, kids are like that. I love that is a whole story. That is a whole thing. I absolutely yeah. love it. Kennedy and is beautiful, by the way. You're you beautiful. You do Kennedy. have those moments, right, with a yeah. kid where a kid is being real adult, mm -hmm. and you just share a somber moment. With yeah, because yeah. they kids will always tell you the truth about yourself. Amen. You ready? Themselves. You ready yeah. for the tweet of the day? Let's do it. Tweet of the day comes from Carrie, my seven-year-old, clinging to his belief in Santa. You can't afford all those presents. I did the math. Oh, okay. Yes. As all you said, right. children will tell the truth. All right, Carrie, first of all, <laughs> on raising a child who's embracing math at the age of seven, unlike me, but that's really funny. Also, shady. <laughs> I was like, girl, I, I know what tax bracket y'all are in. We, we stand a shady mathematician. <laughs> Come on. Know the future. Have that kid help me with my tax. Oh, mine too. Okay, well, coming up, you get to see Amber Jamison's sit-down interview with the Academy Award winner, Natalie Portman. Woo-hoo, there were paparazzi in front of the building. It was very exciting. But up next, we are talking to Sylvia O'Bell about Love Is Getting Canceled. Mm. Yikes. Mm. Ah. Woof. Mm. Here's a tweet from Shadow and Act that like made me wince when I saw it last night. Um, Own cancels Love Is amid graphic domestic violence allegations against co-creator Salim Akil. Our own Sylvia O'Bell put it this way, I'm so sad about Love Is being canceled. Men ruin everything. Or at least they try. Mm. Well, BuzzFeed News reporter and host of the show, Hella Opinions, Sylvia O'Bell joins us now. Sylvia, girl, this makes my heart hurt. Child. Who child? Uh, listen. Like, I just, I'm so sad about it. I love Love Is. Uh, Mara and Salima Kill have for so long been one of my favorite power couples. Like, this whole all of the news from start to finish has just been very heartbreaking for a lot of us who have grown up from like girlfriends to be Mary Jane to the game to love is just loving this duo black lightning. Like they've given us so they've given the culture so much. So one, it's hard to hear these allegations about Salim in the first place. And then two, it's said it's going to affect some of the only black love stories we get on television. Absolutely, it's a few and far between. Um, for people who didn't know about Love Is, because I think that's important for this context, can you explain the concept of the show, the way it was related to uh, Mara Brockakill and her husband, Salim, and, and, and these allegations? Yes, yeah, so Love Is was a romantic drama about Basically, it was it was inspired by Mara and Salim's love story. So season one was about how they met and how they became to be a couple. And I believe it ends with her propo like proposing. So it's it's really based heavily on their love story, which is another reason why it would be very complicated for it to continue amid all of these allegations of infidelity and sexual um, abuse that 
Celine's alleged mistress has come forward with. Um, and she also has claimed that part of the script for Love is has come from part of her idea, which initially was really hard for some of us to understand because Love Is is very primarily Mara's show. Celine does not write on the show at all. He's just an EP on it. But it is it was such a love project for Mara and you could see how much she poured into it. And it was the first time they ever really even attempted to tell their love story. They've been married for almost 20 years. So for it to kind of backfire in this way and like end in this way, I don't think anybody saw that coming. Okay, so I just want to ask a quick question there. Uh, accusations that part of the show was based on her ideas. Do we know what part of the show it was or is there any fact, like has anybody figured out what this allegation points to? They didn't say specifically. I mean, it's in the, it's all, all the information people are getting is from the lawsuit documents. There's no, like she hasn't, at least to my knowledge, come out and made a statement yet about it. But in the lawsuit document that originally came out, part of it was alleging that he some of the ideas that she was pitching to him in hopes his, his alleged mistress was pitching to him because she's an actress in hope for, you know, script development or something like that. She's claiming she saw some of those ideas in the sitcom, in the in the in Love Is, which is like extremely messed up because like Love Is is supposed to be about him and his wife's love story. So for your mistress to be like, oh, he got some of those ideas from me. Like, what? Mm -hmm. I've got to uh, credit one of our viewers, uh, Kirsten Baptiste. She first DM'd me news about the allegations a couple weeks ago, and then we followed up last night when, the, when we found out about the show being canceled. And so something we were talking about, and I want to turn this question to you, is how does it feel uh, to see what in some ways boils down to a woman, a brilliant woman, Mara Brock Hill, being, I don't know, punished, but set back because of the actions of a man, in this case, her husband? It sucks. Like, it sucks and it's terrible. I mean, I can't imagine finding out that my husband of 20 years, almost 20 years and the father of my kids has been having an affair for years and then losing my show on top of that. Like, it's a hit to your personal life and your professional life all in one. Like, I'm really, my heart really goes out tomorrow right now because she's done nothing but give us great television as long as I can remember. All the way, I think one of her first writing jobs was Moesha. Mm -hmm. So I have every... I have every hope and faith that she will be able to get back on her feet at some point and create more television. I just really hate that she put her heart and soul into this project. I interviewed actually her and Celine for BuzzFeed News when the series came out and they, she was, it's, it was really her love child. And I really can't imagine how she's dealing with this. And also for the actors, Will Cadet and the, the lead, like they're, they're, new actors this was like their first big lead role on television so it's all just really a lot of people are being affected by this one man's actions and it's really tragic absolutely sylvia thank you so much for joining us Wow. And, and I did want to add, um, you know, Mara Brock Akil, uh, I've grown up mm -hmm. at least uh, mm -hmm. by characters she's introduced me to. Brandy playing Moesha, that was high school. Tracy Ellis Ross uh, on Girlfriends, that was high school and college. Being Mary Jane, it was such a delight to watch it in the last few years, especially when, hello, launching a morning show and watching Gabrielle Union shine there. She has given us wonderful characters that we don't see everywhere. And I just hope in 20 2019. It's just, it's just nothing but grace around her. She deserves it all. More thriving and more shining. Absolutely. 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 Well, up next, it's time for Amber Jamison's sit-down interview with Natalie Portman. This is so exciting. Stay tuned. 
So this is the sit down and I'm here with Academy Award winning actor Natalie Portman, star of the new film Vox Lux. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for joining us. So nice to be here. Well, I'm so excited to talk about this film. One of the things that you, you worked with the singer Sia. Yes. He's also an executive producer on the film. Yes. And she creates all this new music that you, your um, character sings in the film. What advice did she give you about being a pop star? You know, she didn't really. Oh. We um, we have met before, and she is so lovely and kind, and um, was so generous to give her incredible music to this mm. movie. But we actually never met on this film. We never talked um, about the movie, so I still haven't heard. So she's given you zero advice. You yeah, had to figure out how to be a pop star by yourself. Well, I worked with one of her music producers, okay. um, Chris Braid, which was incredible, and so he was really the guide in sort of recording mm -hmm. and, and creating the music, um, which was really an incredible, lucky experience. Well, I want to ask if there was anyone that you did turn to, and I'm also interested to know what it was like because your husband choreographed the dances. What's yes. it like working with him? It was so fun. Um, it's really lucky to get to work with someone who knows your strengths and weaknesses and can kind of maneuver <laughs> the around them. Exactly. So um, it was really lucky to um, to have that experience and also very convenient, of course, with the home uh, home like rehearsals. Like, are you doing it in the kitchen? Like, how? Um, we actually have a studio at home, which is so lucky. Oh. It's really our garage, but we've turned <laughs> our garage into, um, into a little dance space, so that mm. was fun. Well, one of the things that your character Celeste has to deal with, it's this like very intense life as this pop star. And she has to deal with fans often kind of getting up in her face when she's like out with her kids, et cetera. How do you deal with that in your own life? Um, I am so appreciative and grateful when people um, come up and are, and are kind. And, right. you know, I'm always happy to say hi to people and, and talk to them. Um, when I'm with my kids, I, I try to create that space for them where they know that my attention is 100% with them. So yeah. I prefer not to, um, you know, do pictures or anything that like would make them feel anything uncomfortable. And have you had a moment like in the film where it's like, when you're crying somewhere or you're upset. And you know, I had an experience once I was coming back from my grandmother's funeral oh. and I was at the airport and um, I was I was like 18 or 19 and someone came up to me and was really like, and I was like, it's not, it's not a good time, I'm sorry. And they, they were kind of like, but come on, I'm, you know, like it's no, it's no big deal, it doesn't. And I was like, you know, you have no idea, like, it, it just reminds you, like, you never know what's going on in someone's mm. life at that moment, and, like, you always have to just kind of, like, use your imagination and respect um, people when, when you know, mm. they're telling you, like, give me a moment, you know? Give me some space. Yeah. Well, your character in the film um, has, was a victim of a school shooting. Well, not a victim, survived a school yes. shooting. Um, it's a very jarring scene and film I often report on mass shootings and it's terrifying to sort of watch. Was that part of the film something that attracted you to the role? Um, well, obviously it's horrific. It's not something that you really want to like, you know, it's not like something that attracts you, sure. but it is, it did feel like something that's a very um, important conversation to be having and something mm. that we need to be um, thinking about and talking about, and I think that Brady, the director and writer, his um, connection of these ideas of, you know, 
what do we give attention to? And mm. what is the power of what we give attention to? And, um, you know, what, what becomes news? What mm. becomes, um, what, what do we put in the spotlight? And when that, you know, when you're putting pop culture and acts of violence in the same kind of, um, in the same kind of spotlight mm. that gives each enormous power. And um, that was, it was a really kind of interesting perspective of, mm. of seeing kind of our current culture. Well, you talk about putting things in the spotlight, and obviously you have been a really big supporter of the Me Too movement, Time's Up, and I'm wondering kind of award seasons around the corner. What do you think are kind of the, the next issues that the Time's Up movement is wanting to kind of deal with? Obviously you had kind of initially people telling their stories and holding bad men to account. Mm -hmm. What's now? Yeah, uh, the, it's been really incredible to get to be among many thousands of women yeah. um, in our industry and in other industries who want to make changes to change sort of a culture mm -hmm. of abusive power. Um, I think the next steps are gonna be a lot of legal and policy changes mm. because um, as you see like Harvey Weinstein is about to be freed. Like, not freed, he's not even, but he's about to like not even have a Look case away. against him. Yeah. Um, and that's in big part because of a lot of laws that don't make a lot of sense, um, mm -hmm. like around um, many different aspects, but that protect abusers and um, are hurt the, the people who are abused. So I think that's gonna be a big thing. And then also just looking at the culture that doesn't give women as much opportunity. Has, mm. There's a lot of unconscious and conscious bias against women and also different treatment in the workplace. So if you're valued less, you know, if you're paid less consistently across the board in every profession, mm. um, then obviously the value, your value as a human being is different um, in, in the eyes. So it's, it's all related, the, um, you know, the, the pay equity, mm. the representation in the workplace, and particularly in positions of power, um, and, um, and also just the, the laws and governing around kind of abuse. So last year we all saw that kind of very amazing fashion statement of um, the women at the Oscars all wearing black. The Globes, yeah. The Globes, yeah. Sorry, no, 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 no worries. It's just so many awards season. Who I know, I know, I know. It's a lot. <laughs> Is there anything um, planned, or are you kind of aware of any other future sort of statements in that manner? Yeah, I think that there's um, there's a lot of collective um, um, action going on that I think will will um, be um, will will come out at the at the these public mm. um, events that um, you know show the kind of community and unity that, that um, you know, we've, we're, we're continuing, which is exciting. So you joined Instagram this year. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you seem sort of like, yes, sadly, <laughs> I do have to use it. No, I mean, it's, it's wonderful and I feel like it's exposed me to so many interesting and um, um, creative people that mm. um, I didn't have insight into before. Well, I see you post like the um, female filmmaker Fridays, for yeah. example, and yeah. I'm wondering how do you kind of decide, you know, your philosophy, if there's a philosophy for kind of addressing issues through social media, like how you decide what you're going to do or not? Yeah, I think it's, it's hard because there's a lot of important things and also like, you know, it, there's kind of a mix of fun that people want to have on yeah. social media where they just kind of want to like relax and like look at, you know, 
pretty things or funny things or cute things, you know, and... Is that how you use that? Um, I think it's a combination. That's right. why I think there's, like, that aspect. And then there's also an aspect of, like, you can get a lot of, like, really valuable information mm. and, and relevant, um, you know, organizing ideas or... What what you can do to donate to help in a certain situation, right? Like when there were the fires in California, mm. or, you know. Um, so so yeah, I mean, I think a balance, trying to balance of like you know what can be just like you know fun and enjoying life, right? And also like being conscious and like a, well, people a good are citizen, rolling madly yeah. on their phones. Yeah. Well, there's been rumored that you may return as Padme Amidala in Star Wars Episode Nine. Can you tell really? us anything about that? I don't know anything about that. So. <laughs> I, I You're mean, like, well, I need I'm to guessing that's not true because I don't know about it yet. <laughs> well, that you really answer that just straight up. Yeah. Are there any roles that you would like to redo? Redo. Yeah, or to go back to again. Oh, interesting. Revisit. I don't know. Um, I really am always interested in like trying new things, so there hasn't been one that I've been like hankering to. Well, then I'll have a different question for you. So I loved in this film your accent. Thank you. It's a very strong Staten Island accent. Yes. Obviously, the Jackie accent was a very. Is there an accent that you would like to do? Oh, well, you know. The very challenging one is Australian. Oh, also, go. there's no reason. There's so many good Australian actresses. There's no reason to ever. Um, but Rose Byrne, when we worked together on Star Wars, um, she yeah. she tried for a while to teach me how to do the no. Can oh. you say no? No. Right. It's like a five-syllable no. My boyfriend does it as no. No, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that would be the, the hardest, probably. That's fair. Thank you so much for joining us, Natalie. Vox Lux is in theaters now. Stay tuned for more AM to PM. Twenty eighteen, of course, is mercifully almost over, and we wanted to check in on the state of journalism with BuzzFeed News editor in chief Ben Smith. Hello. Uh, what I, what I, you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> what I love is that we were going to do this conversation anyway. And then something happened last night. Uh, here's a tweet about it from Zoe Tillman. She tweeted, a federal judge in Florida has sided with BuzzFeed in a defamation lawsuit brought over the publication of the Trump dossier. That is right. Chuck Todd, you up? Uh, how are you feeling this morning? You know, honestly, great. Good. Like We always knew this was the right thing to mm -hmm. do, but whenever you're in court, it's stressful, it's uncertain, and we were just really thrilled that the judge ruled that, that our report was, in her words, true and fair. True and fair. So you yep. feel like the reporting, and, and, and can I also ask, like, what do you think it means, not just for BuzzFeed, but for, for journalism? You know, one thing I think it means is that in some sense the institutions here are holding. Judge Jungera, who's a Republican, conservative Republican appointee in Florida, you know, looked at the Constitution, looked at the law, and ruled on this very, very important core question mm -hmm. that we are allowed to tell our audience what our government is doing. Mm -hmm. Right on. Well, to this point, in your statement that you put out last night, um, you said that when BuzzFeed News published the Steele dossier in 2017, gosh, that feels like a long time ago, um, you said, we were met with outrage from many corners and that a major news anchor and President Trump both deemed it fake news. And I remember that. I remember just the, the noise. It wasn't even chatter. It was like a roar in some ways of criticism. Should we have done this. Um, who are you subtweeting? Uh, and what did it feel like at the time to have so many of your peers, people you know well, um, you know, kind of publicly judging your editorial decision? 
Oh gosh, who was I subtweeting? Um, I was, it was in fact my friend Chuck Todd, who uh, knew it. You know who I who I thought at the time bought into this really White House talking mm -hmm. point, which is less any kind of rational argument than just throwing the word fake news at mm. journalism you don't like. Um, and yeah, you know I was not surprised. Like we've, we, it's not the first time that we've done something that in the moment felt like, oh, is this is this how it's supposed to work? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think if you do journalism on the internet, that is that the comes up sometimes. And there's yeah. this kind of conservatism in journalism that really, in this case, I thought made no sense. And I do think now, almost two years later, I, you never run into anybody who says, gosh, I'm, you know, I wish you hadn't published it so that I would have no clue what has been going on in my country for the last two years. And yeah. I wish I had been kept in the dark. I, I would say that either. I wouldn't say that either. Or maybe you would. I don't well, know. Well, who knows? I mean, actually, come to think, as I say it now, it, <laughs> no, I mean, I remember you making a very good point that you were like, Saeed, this, and you told this to me as I asked you about the dossier. You were like, Saeed, it's almost like this dossier is an invisible hand impacting people at the highest levels of power in our country, and everybody knows about it except citizens except and, and our readers. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. Well, um, you, of course, were also at the Doha Forum this weekend in Qatar. Um, what is that forum, um, and, and what were you doing there? Oh, so we were the media partners of the Doha Forum. It's a gathering of world leaders um, in Qatar. It was mm -hmm. pretty interesting. You, the Iranian foreign minister, the Turkish foreign minister, mm. made news, made more news than we realized, actually. The Turkish foreign minister said in passing, and Trump's going to withdraw from Syria. We thought it was kind of wishful thinking. In oh, fact, wow. you heard it there first. Heard it there first. Yep. Um, well, there was also um, a point where you got to speak with Filipina journalist Maria Reza. Um, I know, of course, she was one of the journalists recognized by Time Magazine as Person of the Year, along with people like Jamal Khashoggi, um, and was honored by the Committee to Protect Journalists in November. Let's take a quick look. Now, you spent your career, like me as a journalist, on the other side of these cameras. What, what has it been like to become the subject of this story, to have the cameras reversed? We've been fighting like these exponential attacks on social media and then the government attacks. It's been two and a half years for us. It's really tiring, but at the same time, I've learned how I can pull up and make it relevant to other people. Because in the end, no one wants to know what your problems are, right? but they do want to know how it impacts them. So if anything, I've learned to just see the bigger picture where, you know, how are we connected to the United States? We're all connected, and what happens to us has an impact on what happens to you. We're a cautionary tale for the United States. And I have to make that case to the Filipino people that, that these abuses, that, that my rights, that have been twisted, that the law has been bent to the point of being broken in these ch charges against us, that this matters to them, that their constitutional rights are also being viol me, violated. And do you, do you see in, in, in what's happening in the Philippines, in, in Rodrigo Duterte, do you see shades of Donald Trump, or is that just Americans sort of pitying ourselves for something that's nowhere near as bad? Presidents Trump and President Duterte, they're two of a type. I mean, their style of leadership is very similar. There's kind of a bullying aspect of it, a little bit paternalistic, a little bit know-it-all, know and a disregard of, of whether the law allows it, right? The difference between the United States and the Philippines is you have institutions that are strong enough to push back. In the Philippines, President Duterte essentially pulled everything together. He owns the executive, he owns the legislature, and by the time he leaves office, he'll have appointed 13 of 15 Supreme Court justices. So our institutions crumbled. <laughs> 
Um, she mentions that U.S. institutions are what protects press freedom here, uh, which, uh, you know, it's great to hear from a, a veteran journalist like uh, Maria Reza. A little unsettling to me in that I feel like, ooh, these institutions have been kind of shaken lately. What would you say to someone like me who says, listen, in the last two years, my faith in the democratic institutions has been rattled, both in terms of press freedom and government? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, in a way, what we were talking about before, which is this is a country where, I mean, Donald Trump, when we published the dossier, called us a failing pile of garbage. His personal lawyer sued us. And ultimately, the courts sided with us and against against the President of the United States there. And I think that that is an example of institutions holding. But I mean, it's, you know, talking to Maria, she's, you know, she's, she's not somebody who sought to be a martyr, right? Mm. Or sought, she's a professional reporter like you or me who spent her career reporting and who found herself in this, in this, kind of incredibly scary situation, you know, to the degree that she, you know, she, when she travels, her friends say to her, hey, you shouldn't go home. You know, when she was, she had left the country, she had, asked, had to ask permission from the court mm. to leave the country to attend this conference. And, you know, I asked her, you know, are you, are you sure you want to go back? And mm. she feels like she has no choice. Do you feel parallels in thinking about Jamal Khashoggi and, and her situation? Um, you know, I think there is a broad, I think authoritarians in this kind of media age where the power of media is, there's so, media has so much power, these authoritarian figures like Trump, like Duterte, mm -hmm. are themselves kind of media figures. Mm. I think they see journalists very, very clearly as the enemy. All right, powerful words. Well, Ben, thank you for joining us. Thank you for the good news. Yeah, that's a good day. <laughs> Love right to get there. to talk to you about that. All right, um, up next, uh, we are going to gush over Brian Tyree Henry. He is incredible. Give him his flowers. <laughs> Listen, we're all ready to kiss 2018 goodbye, but at least one person had a good year. Actor Brian Tyree Henry, Hannah George's culture writer at The Atlantic, who just wrote an incredible profile of Henry, joins me now. How are you? Good morning. I'm great. Thank you, Isaac. How's it going? It's going good. What a year. Oh, my God. This I know. man had. I know. It's unreal. It's it unreal. is unreal. I'm just going to... I'm just gonna Please. go to my notes real quick. Please. Here's just some of the projects Brian was a part of this year. Oh. Atlanta season two. Something light. Lobby hero on Broadway. We Casual had a Tony, Tony nomination. And amazing. Widows. Incredible. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, my favorite new movie of 2018. <laughs> and, I don't know if you heard this, he appeared on AM to DM. Oh, uh, okay. Probably the biggest okay, blow Okay, right, 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 the blockbuster, right. How is he getting his hands on all these incredible roles? I mean, he's amazing, right? Like, you see, when you see somebody who sort of holds a scene together, who holds a film together, who holds um, a performance together, that's rare. And I think he does that sort of beyond his own roles and beyond um, the scope of every individual scene, right? Like, here's someone who really carries the people around him. That's incredible. What, what is it about his acting that you were drawn to? Like, do you remember the first time you saw him in a role? Yeah, and what yeah. And what spoke to you? Yeah, I think for me, like a lot of people, it was Atlanta, right? Like, that was the first time I'd seen him. And I was like, this is someone who has a particular gravity about him, who mm. feels really grounded, who feels really aware of the fact that his role exists, again, in concert with everybody else mm -hmm. on screen, mm -hmm. but also in concert with the audience that he's most concerned with, right? Like, mm -hmm. you can tell he has a lot of compassion for both his individual character and mm. for the people who identify with that character. I and that feels rare. I love it. Now, listen, in addition to Atlanta, all these incredible roles, he's also in If Beale Street oh, my Could God. Talk. Yes. I just gotta ask, like, what impact, it's, it's just a few short minutes, I haven't seen the film, but what, Isaac, impact, what's going on? what impact does what? this character have? 
Um, no, I think he, you know, he says this beautifully, he anchors the film, right? Mm -hmm. And Barry Jenkins talks about this, where he says that he's in it for so short a time, and it's one thing to sort of convey in words or sort of in visuals the effect of incarceration, but to have a literal embodiment of that, and that's what the character of Daniel Cardi does, is he sort of prefigures the experience that Fani, one of the main characters, is going to have with the justice system. Mm -hmm. And he does it sort of so beautifully and so vulnerably and so openly, um, and I think it's rare to see two black men have a moment like that, a moment of camaraderie and a moment of closeness and a moment of sharing trauma kind of openly um, and honestly and really beautifully that way. I, I, I do want to ask, uh, Barry Jenkins uh, kind of said he sought him out for the role. Why yeah, was oh, that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. He said that he, he um, I think his phrasing was something that he's an actor who can traverse the full spectrum of human emotion within one scene and not even within a two-hour narrative, right? Barry said that and I was like, whew, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but it's true, right? Like you can see him hold one scene and he does it very much in this movie where you, you don't see him throughout the whole film. You see him for maybe 15 minutes total, and his point comes in sort of in the midway of the film, and it just really anchors it, and it really sort of injects, again, this kind of grounding moment. Okay. He also, I mean, obviously, you just mentioned it before, but we know him as Alfred. We know right. him as Paperboy. That right. is how right. many. He's right. had a long career, but right. this is how it was his breakout role. Right, right. Uh, how did he, he mentioned connecting emotionally to his character in season two. Oh, what happened man. there? Um, yeah, you know, I think... Um, you know, uh, Brian Terry Henry went through a lot of heavy things, right? He lost his mother, um, and the character, Alfred Miles, loses his mother as well. And so he talks sort of about wanting to have compassion for the character while learning to have that for himself. And I think he mm. sort of brings that into some of the episodes like The Woods, where you see him, it starts after the loss of his mother again, um, and sort of carrying that heaviness into a role, you know, the kind of character who people don't see as having a full emotional range. And he absolutely brings that. Okay, listen, I, I won't lie, this profile was incredible. Just listen, I could listen to you talk about him all you. day. You Thank do you. it so well. What else can we look forward to in 2019? Although I'm like, this guy deserves a break. He should get a year off, but what? I, I know, do we, I know, Do we have right? some things to oh, yeah, yeah, coming yeah, down the pipe? Yeah, absolutely. Um, he has, oh my God, he has a ton of different things in the works right now. Um, like blanking at the moment, there's so many of them. There's literally. so there's, there's so much going on. Like, there's a list of like five different films that he was filming like in the couple months before this. And and, and if, if Beale Street can talk though, it is oh absolutely gotta um, go see right. it. So Beale Street was out um, in selected theaters like a week ago, mm -hmm. and I think is coming out nationally on Christmas, and then even further beyond that. All right, well I'm know. going to check that out. Hannah, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Up next, Saeed and I are going to try and remember what happened in 2018. Good luck. Yeah, right. This is a long ass <laughs> year. It was. A a long ass year. Welcome back. <laughs> I'm David Black. <laughs> today I'm joined by I am today I'm host Isaac Fitzgerald and Say Jones. Well, the game that's sweeping the nation, we're calling 2018 was long as fuck. This is exciting. Welcome, welcome. <laughs> oh, th thank you so much for having us, David. Where, 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 are you, where are you joining us from? Oh, man, I flew in from Park Slope, and boy, are my arms tired. Oh, that old chestnut. Okay, in my head, I have a handful of events that took place. He wasn't here for rehearsal. I have a handful of events that took place this year. And when I read, you, uh, when I read them off, whoever hits the buzzer first, will have to tell me what month it happened during. Do you okay. follow? Okay, okay, here we go. Whoever wins gets to tweet their favorite or most embarrassing picture of the loser. Okay. Okay, here we go. Question one. What month did Fire and Fury come out? Oh, that's Saeed. August. I'm sorry, that's incorrect. Uh, I'm going to say 
June. Also incorrect. Oh. This is going to shock you. It came out on January 5th. What? That's. What? Are you serious? Yes. Welcome to hell. <laughs> okay. Okay, wow. here we go. Next question. Okay. When was Brooklyn Nine Nine canceled? Oh, wait. January. Incorrect. Uh, I am going to say Brooklyn. So we had Terry Crews on. He was one of my favorite guests. Oh. I'm going to say. May. May is correct! Oh, oh that's great. May right. 10 to be exact. Here's a follow up question for you. When was it revived? Also May. Yes, May 11. Congratulations. Wait, he didn't hit the button. Uh, no, no, well, it was a follow up, was a follow -up for me. Up. Oh, 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 man. Getting into the Don't be a sore loser, Saeed. Don't be like a sore loser. I'll try to. Okay. <laughs> when did Yanni and Laurel take over the timeline? Oh, God. Okay, I July. Uh, no. <laughs> I have to check. No. Uh, Sorry. no. Try again. Say. Uh, March? Incorrect, I'm afraid. Uh, that was May, too. Okay. I think we got thrown by Fire and Fury being Here in January. That's true. Yeah. I, all year. It was check. all downhill from there. All right, next up. When did Cardi B's Invasion of Privacy drop? Oh, I'm going to give that to Isaac. June. Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. The cards are hard to read. No. July? Incorrect. I'm afraid May? that April. What? This is the year you have survived. Okay. <laughs> Here's a two-parter. All right. You have to get both parts of this. Here we go. Okay. What month did Ariana Grande and Pete Davidson start dating, and what month did they break up? <laughs> they broke up in November. Incorrect. <laughs> no, really? Okay, they started dating in... Uh, I have no idea. March. Incorrect. That relationship was even shorter than that. I'm going to say they started dating in May. Correct. And that they broke up in December. No, September. <laughs> I'll give you one point. It was May to yes. October. Okay. May to October. All right. Did I really cannot well, Let's no, check the no. score. Oh. So far, Isaac I'm is sure ahead. You're three to zero. I'm sure you're and we're headed into round two, which we're calling... When did they leave? Oh, God. <laughs> Look at these graphics. Shout out to the graphics team. Okay, these are shout all... Shout out to your jacket. Yeah, shout out to my jacket, thank you. These are all the White House officials that have left the Trump administration this year. So get ready, it's a long list. When I read their name, you will hit the buzzer to tell me what month they left. Are you ready? No. No. <laughs> First up, Scott Pruitt. September. <laughs> May. No, it was July. <laughs> okay. Uh, what was it? Secretary of State Rex Tillerson. January. Uh, Rex Tillerson was out in July. March. You got it. <laughs> I remember it was Straight cold. Up guessing at this all point. I could think is it yeah, was still it was cold, cold in New York. It was March. <laughs> That's all I got. All right, here we go. Rick Perry. He's not still there. Yeah! We know where you are, motherfucker. Okay, he's still there. That's true. Okay, here Woo. we go. Uh, Hope Hicks. January. <laughs> you just keep guessing. Just stop guessing January. Incorrect. <laughs> Isaac. Uh, Hope Hicks was definitely out in April. Incorrect. Oh. We would have accepted either February or March because she really dragged that one out. So here we go. All right. <laughs> 
Uh, here we go, Omarosa. January. That was January. Oh, Because she wasn't wow. there for Black History January. Month. Yeah, 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 that's right. <laughs> that's all. Okay, here we go, so the school, it was now. You're obviously winning this. Isaac Four, Saeed Two, I'm being told. Ooh, ooh, okay, ooh, ooh. here we go, this is it. This is the last question, for double or nothing, what month held AM to DM's 100th episode? Oh no, I'm giving it to Saeed, Saeed. It's gripping television, ladies and gentlemen. January? <laughs> Incorrect! February! It was February! Oh my god! Oh, ladies and gentlemen! Oh my god! Isaac and Saeed, thank you! I don't think either of us really won, though. Doing a morning show for a full year is hard. There's a lot of information. No one wins in 2018. Nobody wins in 2018. Be sure to tweet your favorite picture of your favorite loser. That's it, Twitter. We want to know how you did. Let us know using the hashtag AM today. That's all for me for this year. Up next, Isaac and Sayin are responding to some of your tweets. Good night! January. Because <laughs> I'll be on vacation and I won't have to hear that goddamn annoying voice from not one, but two white men in an hour. Just in stereo. Oh my that was, I like that he committed. That he, was impressive. I've, like the fifth line, he started, I was like, all right, he's gonna go into his normal mm-hmm. voice. He really committed. It's Good like, just Mack. when I think I understand how annoying David Mack can be, he raises the ball. Oh, wow. I, it's a part of our chemistry. You haven't seen us co-host together. <laughs> it's a thing. No, that was really, that was fun. We should do more games. Yeah. Who Maybe game's thought? not that damn hard because remembering what happened in 2018 is very difficult. In our defense, <laughs> this year had about a hundred months. Oh my god! About but that was really months. fun. We should. I would love to do more games with you. That was. I agree. Oh my god. Okay, so we asked you: Are you doing New Year's resolutions this year, or do you just love yourself the way you are? There's no wrong answer, but we got to say this tweet from Jolie is beautiful. Jolie, you tweeted: My theme for 2019 is. Practice. I am understanding how nearly everything we do can be a practice, like how lawyers practice law. The word implies having space to keep improving with room to make mistakes and learn from them. I'm going to write that down. I think that is beautiful, mm-hmm. keen, and like what a what an embracing, welcoming way to think about the new. I feel like that's year. my new chest tattoo. Practice. Like I'm just gonna get that done because that Practice. is. I love that concept. And I love that. To be honest, as we get a little reflective here, tomorrow is gonna be our last live show of the year. Oh, like we, that's what we did this year. We practiced. Really jumped off a cliff and, and went with it. Yep. Well, listen, Lily is not the biggest fan of resolutions. She tweeted, "I usually make resolutions." but I never followed through with them, so fuck them. That's another strategy. Yeah, I like that. Tap, tap. You know what? It's like, you know what? I didn't do those resolutions from 2017, 2016, 2015, 2009. Fuck them. Because, you know, I will say this. 2018, if anything happened in 2018 that I think is true for almost everyone is that we were forced to take on so much more, right? Like, I grew up with a mother who read three newspapers a day, which now I realize at the time was actually very unusual, who wanted, we watched and talked about the news all day long. Like, I love the news, it is in my blood. 
this year has challenged my capacity to handle it. Mm. So I would argue anything that this year you took on and it was too much and you realized it was unproductive, like it didn't give you like an opportunity for growth, it's totally in your rights to say, fuck it, bye, thank you, next. Let that go, let that go. Roxane Gay's tweet um, about 2018 also really resonated with Pix Maven. Hi, Pix. Uh, you tweeted, I am living, uh, I'm living in Roxanne's tweet. That is now scripture. That absolutely. is now scripture. That's true for almost everything Roxanne tweets. <laughs> that is absolutely Especially when true. she's like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of scripture and a lot of love yes. out of this conversation. I love so. it. It's a nice way to end it. But anyways, Christine Baptiste had this to say about our talk with Ben about the state of journalism. I think we are learning now how weak our pushback institutions are. Mm. Yeah, that, I'm, I mean, I'm shook. I, of course. Listen, 2018 is also a very scary year. Mm. Uh, but it is nice to see in this, like, like Ben said, in this one instance, a conservative rep appointed Republican appointed judge made the right call, mm. and that was good to see. I will say, I mean, you know, January will be my sixth year at BuzzFeed, and. Um, Talking to Ben about news, I often like you know go to lunch with him and, and like have conversations about what's going on. We did this during the Kavanaugh uh, hearing where I was just really rattled. I'm confused. I'm not an expert on all of this stuff, and he is someone with that kind of calm, focused, human um, perspective. And I think you know I, I'm going to try to have some faith in what Ben said. So. Absolutely. You do cursing, girl. You do the same. All right. Well, thank you to all of our guests today: um, Nitty Prakash, Natalie Portman. Was that our first Academy Award winner? I don't know. Couldn't be. Ben Smith, <laughs> Hannah Georges, David Mack. Thank you. That was really fun, David. I am going to shade you on Twitter later, so, girl, I can't wait and, till the video clips are out. And Sylvia O'Bell. Also, Sylvia, we I, love you. I do want to say this. I can't believe you had the nerve to ask me a question like that after we just proved we don't remember anything about this year. <laughs> but we will be back here live tomorrow at 10 a.m. It's a great show. Look forward to seeing you then. One more show than vacation, children. Uno. <laughs>